As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletics Tuesday National College Football Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Nicole Auerbach. I am thrilled this week to be joined by my friend and colleague, Max Olson. You guys know him uh, from The Athletic to break down everything spring ball um, in an hour or less, because that is our promise for Power Hour. Reminder, if you enjoy this podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the Andy Stables and Friends show. Um, plus, we're the palate cleanser for whatever food takes and arguments and random rankings that Ari and Andy will do later in the week. So we will balance it out. Max, hello. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Um, it is great to see you. I have seen many photos of Theo and not that many photos of your face lately. So That's true. That you know, once you once you have a kid, kind of the primary objective there is just to create content, you know? Yes. And so uh, he is a he's he's been fantastic at that. We went to the zoo yesterday for the first time. He just sat in the stroll. He doesn't really get that he's at a zoo, but first of May, um, and uh, he's starting to sleep a lot. So we oh, are uh, we're doing pretty well over here. Yeah, I feel like um, probably half your day is spent just kind of like he, getting his reaction shot and pairing it with whatever is the the trending cultural moment of the day. I feel like <laughs> that's what babies he's- are for. Yeah, that, you know, he's like, there's kind of this golden hour when you first wake him up and you, you lay him down on the change table and he, 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 that's when he starts giving you some smiles and giggles. And that's, that's when you got to try and, and capture the, uh, capture the magic there. But he's starting to giggle more. He, uh, one of the things he's, he's really picked up on is like at dinner time, uh, he gets fussy and we lay him down on his doctor on the couch and he watches, there's this, this channel on, on, uh, YouTube TV now, MTV classic that just plays music videos and like they even have like a just a show of TRL era videos, which I bet you would like. And uh, he just like uh, lays there and, and pumps his arms and, and, and gets into it. So we are uh, we're problem solving over here. You're raising him well. Actually, that sounds like what MTV just should have always been. It never needed to change. Really, you know, I'm glad you said that because uh, we grew up in the peak MTV time when they had music videos, and also their their reality content was like the best early on you know i enjoyed watching real world what happened i think it still exists actually doesn't yeah. it 
And now it's now it's morphed into like the circle and Love is Blind, which we also watch. So we do. Yeah. There is a healthy, so. healthy evolution there. Um, did 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 Theo watch spring football? Like, did he consume his first college football content? He watched. A, he watched. A, we were all down in the basement watching watching college football. He watched a little bit. And uh, my wife got a little teary eyed because she's like, "This is a moment. We're having a moment." It's like, "Yeah, there's gonna there's gonna be a lot of this, you know." So he seemed he seemed okay with it. Didn't get too upset, uh, you know, with with how you know meaningless a lot of this stuff was. Um, I think he just liked all the 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 bright colors on this, on this, on the big screen. So it's kind of like the alternate, the opposite of uh, everyone on Twitter who does complain. But that about- you know, that's what we, that's what you know. We we just you know, it's that time of the year. We we enjoy the bright colors on the screen, right? That's all oh, this yeah. really is. It's just uh, the act of football uh, that we get to, we get to see. You know, it's something. You know, I, I don't know that like I'm not usually a hot take artist, and it's hard to be a hot take artist off of spring games. Uh, but it was it was just nice to have in our lives, and we didn't you know we didn't have them last year, so. Yeah. That's that's worth noting. At least these guys got through a whole spring ball. Yeah, and it was also the anniversary of the famous Bo Pelini holding up the cat, which is honestly probably the all-time great spring game moment. Um, yeah, yeah. But no, I'm I'm with you. I think it was it was more symbolic than usual of getting through it, getting everything that people typically want to get out of spring football. And, you know, in a lot of these places, it looked sunny. It looked like a great day to be outside watching football. Um, So you did takeaways. You just said you're not, you know, you don't want to make hot takes about any of this. But I did think what you wrote, and, you know, anyone who's listening who hasn't read it should check it out on The Athletic. Um, It's basically like, honestly, it's spring game takeaways, but it's spring football takeaways. It's kind of, you know, laying out a lot of the quarterback races that are most interesting across the country. Um, that, that feels like the most you can pull out of stuff like this because you do see who goes with the ones, who goes with the twos, what, what stood out in terms of court again, like a lot of these, you know, there's no tackling or, you know, there's modified, um, defensive efforts in these games, but what was the number one thing that jumped out to you coming out of this spring, coming out of this batch of spring games? Yeah, I mean, I think for this particular weekend, when you have Alabama, Ohio State and LSU all playing. You know, you, you just kind of want to have a little bit of a check-in on where they're at with their quarterback situations, all different um, and and I think pretty interesting. And, and obviously for all three of those programs, you're talking about, you know, this is going to be the thing that kind of kind of sets the ceiling of how good they can be. So for Alabama, I don't know that you would really call it a competition because it, it would be pretty shocking if uh, anybody rose ahead of, of Bryce Young. I mean, he got – the the mop up duty last year and got the game reps and I think we've seen um, he's got a chance to be pretty special and and he had a good day uh, for for Alabama they were missing a lot of their um, lo- uh, missing a lot of starters and so you're not really going to get the the cleanest performance out of that but um, you know he he looked really really good he looked like Bryce Young the kid that was in some people's eyes the number one you know quarterback and recruit in the country uh, in his class Ohio State you know three man battle. Um, I, I thought C.J. Stroud still looked like the guy. I know Bill Landis came out of watching that game feeling like uh, he's going to be QB1. And although I thought I, I, it was actually Kyle McCord that impressed me too from that one, um, being the true freshman, I thought he he looked pretty confident in just going out there and ripping it. And then the LSU one I think is a, is a pretty – I mean, to me, LSU is one of the real interesting wildcard teams of this whole season because I think there's going to be – uh, you know, a real bounce back from them, but also there's now kind of like a 
real amount of pressure on Ed Orgeron after what's gone on over the last 12 months uh, or 15 months. So um, their four-man quarterback battle, you know, is that now kind of a two-man quarterback battle? That seemed to be Brody Miller's take coming out of it. Um, but, you know, after watching them play three different guys last year, like I'm fascinated to know what direction that goes. Yeah, I think LSU probably has the the – of, of the teams that you mentioned, the most pressure on them. I think it, it's really fascinating to have a an actual wide-open quarterback competition, especially with four. I mean, I, you know, it sort of felt like that was exaggerated, so getting down to two makes a lot of sense. I, I think, you know, we saw some things from, from Miles Brennan. Um, I, I imagine, you know, that you know, it, 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 it's interesting because of, you know, what he went through from a health standpoint um, to see him get to this point. You know, I, I was also watching Auburn's spring game and, and Bo Nix when you talk about, again, people that kind of need to take a next step. Again, like, so so Auburn has a coaching change. Like, this is, this is one of those opportunities. Again, you're trying to, like, pull strings of what to, you know, actually take away from these things. You have a coaching change. You have a new coordinator in Mike Bobo. Um, like what is Auburn's offense going to look like? And I mean, I mean, I didn't think Bo Nix looked, you know, like super stellar. I don't think he looked bad. I think you did see that Auburn's going to use tight ends more. That's something they've really talked about. Um, but you know, when I when I talked to Mike Bobo about Bo Nix recently for Auburn's state of the program, he was talking about like getting his footwork down. So I do think you saw a little bit of an effort there. Again, it's really hard when. It's not the it's not like a full scrimmage setting, um, but you know I, I just think these these SEC quarterbacks, um, you know, and these programs that aren't Alabama just have so much pressure on them to get to that level, and it's not easy. And we saw how everything had to align for 2019 LSU, and I don't know if these teams have that in them, but I, I think the first step is, you know, kind of fixing quarterback and, and getting going. Yeah, the Bo Nix one's interesting because it's like, is, is is that just, is is that what he is, right? After we've seen two seasons of him, obviously, you know, he he has some pretty high moments as a, as a freshman, but um, you can understand why there is kind of skepticism from the Auburn fan base of like, is this just what Bo, Bo Nix is? Is he going to keep throwing off his back foot? Is he going to be, you know, a 59% passer? It, like, can he... Not that he, you know, he he can play well in big games certainly, but I I think that's the I'm I'm curious to see can I, can can Harson and Bobo elevate him into a guy that can be you know an All SEC kind of player because you you remember at the end of his freshman year what did Gus say we're going to win a championship with him I mean the 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 bar was set really really high and I, I think he's got good pieces around him but. Um, it almost reminds me of like when back in our, our oldest podcast, Nicole, like the debating like J- JT Barrett and like some of these guys of like, is he just, is he what he is? Or is there a potential there with the pieces around him that Bo Nix can end up turning into a guy that's not just a four-year starter, but a really high level SEC player. And someone who can play away from home, right? That's another knock on him that his, his numbers are way, way, way better. Jordan Hare than anywhere else. And obviously you play big games elsewhere on the road. Um, you sure do. So, yeah. You know, I think I think that's going to be really interesting. I thought that Brian Harson did a really good job with that staff. I think you hire two coordinators that have a ton of SEC experience. Sure and do. Derek Mason on the defensive side. So it's one of those coaching changes where, like, because it was such a shock that Gus got let go, it's not like the program's in a bad spot. It's not like this is a rebuild. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? 
it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to go back to Ohio State and C.J. Stroud um, because it feels like it almost doesn't matter who is quarterback at Ohio State. Does that (laughs) – and I don't mean that in a negative way, but I just feel like they are – They've been this way for a few years now where they just have insane receivers every single year, and it feels like you don't have to be perfect when you get the ball to a Garrett Wilson type because he's going to catch it and do something crazy in it. So is it almost like – is that a luxury that this fan base has that maybe we aren't thinking about as much because we do get fixated on who gets to be the starting quarterback? I mean, I know Ari's thinking about it because I think I saw about 20 tweets from him on Saturday <laughs> about the wide receivers there. No, it's it's um, it's it's insane. Like watching that spring game, you're reminded like, man, like Chris Olave should be in the draft right now. He should not still be in Columbus. And he made, I think, probably a really smart business decision because of just how loaded this receiver draft is at the top. Um, but like watching him, um, you know, win jump balls <laughs> against guys and make to- uh, you know these sideline toe tappers and stuff. Like he looked phenomenal. Garrett Wilson. Um, is Garrett Wilson. I think he's one of the best in the country. And so you take those two guys plus all of these, you know, top 100 recruit type um, wideouts that all have kind of different bodies and skill sets and stuff. And then you, you know, you still have Jeremy Ruckert at tight end too. Like it's just, it's pretty ridiculous. And then, you know, they, they look like they have three or four good running backs. I mean, I, I, I don't worry too much about losing Trey Sermon from that group, honestly. And, and Travion Henderson, the freshman coming up, I think is, is, you know, they call him baby Saquon. Like, I think he's going to be pretty, pretty special. So yeah, you're right. As long as the O-line I think is in in good shape and not a weakness, which shouldn't be, I mean, I, you know, you could roll out Stroud, you could roll out Jack Miller. Um, you, you know, if you have injuries, you could play McCord and they'd still probably roll pretty much everybody on their schedule. Wouldn't they? Yeah, I think this is kind of the problem that the rest of the Big Ten <laughs> runs into yeah. uh, is that they just don't there, – there's no rebuilding phase anymore for this program, for Alabama. Like, it just it, – it's just terrifying almost every single year. And, like, like Jack Sawyer looks like he's going to be the next oh my God. beast. I mean, it, again, it's all of these positions that we have seen just produce elite NFL talent out of Columbus. And – they're replenished. They're like, we're going to have these conversations. Is, is this going to be the best D end yet? I mean, we're going to continue doing that because Ryan Day like, is. It, it didn't seem fair on the kid for people to be like, oh, this kid's the next Bosa brother. This but... kid's the next Chase Young. And then you watch him <laughs> and you're like, yeah, he is. He is. Yeah. Yeah. And we know how they use him there. So it is, um, yeah, I think just very as expected for, for those programs. And I think, you know, that's that's kind of the best case scenario coming out of spring is guys not getting hurt and looking like, you know, kind of a jumping off period. How much?
much do you actually gain in this in this period of time? Like we always talk to coaches. I remember talking to them this time last year when they didn't have spring or they didn't finish spring. Yeah. And they were talking about all the things you you miss. But having it, what are what are we seeing in terms of like next steps? I mean, we've seen some transfer quarterbacks, so I think that's very important to to actually play with guys you're going to play with. But yeah. like from a fundamental team building standpoint, what do we see? I mean, from talking to coaches this spring, it just seems like there's a real gratefulness that they can uh, actually go through the whole teaching process. I mean, you remember last year, like, you know, the early enrollees didn't even go through spring ball. Like, what's the point of being an early enrollee other than the, you know, the strength standpoint and conditioning all that? You're not really getting a whole lot of that semester, that that, that bonus semester you tried to add to your career. And then you had to go home and you couldn't work out. And then you had to go home and... (laughs) And, and, you know, lift wine bottles like Nicole in, in your house, yes. you know? I mean, it's – it's uh, so that part of it's a little bit different. I mean, I think um, – you know, I, I, I just think for some of these steps, you talk to them and they say, oh, you know, the usual spring stuff of we're going back to fundamentals and, and you know, trying to keep it simple and all that kind of stuff. But I think just the 15 practices, um, just, just getting to play in front of – some distance fans again a little bit and so like you know some of these big 10 programs like they had no you know they couldn't play in front of anybody last year i'm sure that that part of it is huge um i know the the scrimmage they had in or the practice they, open practice they had in lincoln this weekend was a big deal to everybody um but i i think uh yeah i i do think just in terms of program building it's just this missing piece from last year that just a very a, a normal winter a normal spring a normal summer is I would think going to yield a lot more consistent results, at least among the, the the good to really good teams. Yeah, and I think too, you know, mentioned guys that had transferred. I mean, you know, you wrote about him, Charlie Brewer, now at Utah. Like we did He's see back. some, yeah, we saw some name, familiar names in new places. Um, was there anything else that jumped out to you? Either maybe you know potential breakout players, guys that transferred, finally getting to see them play with their new pieces. Um, Again, I know we're going to have another full weekend of spring games, but you know, kind of at this midway point. The the one you know, I mentioned those those three Alabama, Hosted, LSU, but but Georgia also um, you know had their spring game on Saturday, and I think you saw uh, more of the stuff that you saw from from sort you know when they went to JT Daniels their last four games, they just changed. They were just I mean, they were just a totally offensively, they were just different. Um, they they took. Um, you know, way more deep shots with him, um, and and became a much more explosive offense. And they even ran the ball better once they actually had uh, a viable, you know, um, big play threat at quarterback with with Daniels. And so, even without George Pickens, like watching their spring game, like they look like they are, you know, building on what they're doing with with Todd Munkin's offense, which really kind of started to click at the end of the year. And then you saw the receiving core, even without Pickens. I mean, the the freshman Adonis Mitchell. Uh, who's a three-star dude? They, they don't take very many three stars at Georgia, uh, but he looked really good in, in playing uh, George Pickens' spot. Uh, went over 100 yards, and then um, you know the the receiving the receiving core, even without Pickens, I thought looked really good. You know, bringing Darnell Washington into the mix more. Um, you know, at tight end, he's he's just a monster. Like I I kind of think Georgia is the team. And maybe as we get into the you know summer and preseason and stuff, we'll be talking about them as as a playoff team and stuff. But I think you you're seeing them kind of take the steps that um, you know I I think they're kind of they're kind of back to to where they should be. And and I to me looking like if it all kind of clicks and they stay healthy, that that to me looks like a playoff team. Yeah, and I think that this is the you know the JT Daniels we saw the second half of last year was what everyone thought immediately Georgia was getting right, and you were coming off an injury and you were dealing with other things. 
But, um, you know, when when there's all that excitement about landing a quarterback of that caliber, like this is why. And I think for a program that has had its frustrations at that position um, since Justin Field has left, I think – uh, I think that that's going to make a big difference. And I think you're right. Cause I think, you know, we went through this phase where every year everyone was kind of thinking, okay, this is it's Alabama and Georgia and everybody else. Georgia gets right, because, the national you championship know, Look game. at 24 seven. Georgia has everything yeah. they should need to be in this every year. Right. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, it's, it's LSU that, that, that pops and, um, mm-hmm. you know, that there's these gaps with Georgia or, you know, they, they kind of, you know, fall just short in these big games. And so, and I they, think that, they, and then Florida got over on them last year. You know, yes, just elite offense. You and know? so I think this is the year where we kind of go back to okay, like Ari will be proud. Just kind of back to the recruiting <laughs> rankings and the stars are going to matter. The yeah, stars, I, I would think so. The yeah, stars I mean, are. But and that's and that's you know it's exciting to watch them because you know for them to open up with Clemson, I think is really one potentially. Uh, uh, you know, one of the best games of the year to, to to open this thing up. So that that is, and whoever loses that game is not out of the playoff by any means. Um, they, they'll have the best loss in the country potentially. But I mean, I I think that is uh, I I'm certainly fired up for that one to kind of be a, a tone setter early on for this this 2021 season. Yeah, that, that's the game that I wish they would just have every year as their opener. Um, we had that stretch. Um, and you know, it'd be it'd be pretty cool because I think you know it it helps Clemson to have at least one of those types of games just to quiet everyone who's eventually going to say, well, who have they played in the, in the ACC? Right, yeah. Which honestly I think is a little bit of a, you know, selling the rest of the league short. You have a lot of teams that are kind of emerging and on upswing. Before we get off kind of the, you know, extrapolating from spring games, uh, tell me about some of the breakout players or at least maybe young players that I'm sure the individual fan bases know, but these guys are going to become maybe more national. Yeah, the first one, and we already talked about Jack Sawyer, but um, the the guy that really broke out in Alabama's spring game over the weekend, they didn't have John Mechie available, and obviously, you're, you know, you're replacing two wideouts that are going to be, I would think, top ten, top fifteen picks. So who's who's next up with that receiver factory? And it looks like uh, a Jai Hall. Uh, <laughs> he looks like that dude. I mean, he uh, really broke out, uh, number five rated wideout uh, in the 2021 class. Um, really made you know really made big improvement. There's that's that's a great example of what's the value of spring. That's an early enrollee that has a chance to go out and and really prove that he you know belongs on the field for for the defending champs. Um, I thought he you know really looks like an explosive wideout for them. And then you know we mentioned Charlie Brewer. Good to see him back and kind of gaining his confidence back again after a frustrating uh, you know fourth year at Baylor. There, um, that's going to be an interesting competition if he can. Win that, and then a couple more transfers that just stood out to me: um, Charleston Rambo, who uh, you know was Oklahoma's second best wide receiver in 2019, I, I thought was really going to break out in 2020. Um, he's now at Miami, and and once Derek King's back, um, those guys are going to hook up a lot. I think I think he's a real difference maker for them um, at at wide out. And then it was good to see Keontae Ingram at at USC. Um, the the Texas transfer, who I think um, that's that's a guy that also his confidence was really shook in 2020 with uh, a couple of really untimely fumbles, lost the TCU game, had one in Red River. Um, you know that's a guy that, that that change of scenery is perfect for him. I think he has a chance to be one of the more dynamic backs in in the Pac-12 um, for that offense. Which if if uh, Keaton Slovis can get better and that offensive line can, I don't know, find find some guys that can play offensive line. I mean that that was. 
that was a little bit concerning for 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 SC over the weekend in terms of them trying to you know be the best team in the Pac-12. They you saw some kind of clear red flags there, but I thought uh, Keontae Ingram and the the dudes they have at wideout I think uh, uh, were impressive. By the way, dude is a uh, term, an analytical term. It is literally in your takeaways. I think it's an important distinction of you know whether someone's a that dude or. Just right, a regular just, player. It, are they just another guy, or are they a dude? That's that's exactly. what this is all about. Yeah. Exactly, which is this is the type of analysis that that only Max Olson can provide. This is what people is, come to Power Hour for is for this kind of exactly uh, bro analytics that I'm offering here. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to hit on the, the the coach in the program that are doing spring quite differently than everybody else. Um, this is Iowa State. Now I did a story on them a couple weeks ago back when you were still on paternity leave. So you know you can't get mad at me, but. Matt Campbell. You know, I am familiar with Matt Campbell. Go on. (laughs) Yes. um, He did say to say hello and asked how little Theo was. See, now like you just have all this content from this this human. I can find, you know, this is, I'm glad you brought this up. I I can finally relate to coaches now because (laughs) coaches, uh, you know, having a kid is just such a nice icebreaker. Now, you know, the age gap isn't quite the same when you can like tell kids stories. So it's, uh, this Theo is really a huge asset for my life. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's about having common ground with people you cover the physical content, like the, the meme ability. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it, it probably makes people remember more things about you because they'll want to remember things about Theo. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's um it's taken me from potentially unlikable to slightly more likable. That's that, that's 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 clear. Uh, I won't comment on the first part of that. Um, but yeah. so so let's talk about your close personal friend Matt Campbell. He basically said we actually like what we did in the COVID year in terms of like obviously everyone went home for a couple months, but when they came back and there was the return to play six-week ramp-up period from the NCAA, he felt like it worked. He thought it was good. It was kind of like NFL OTAs and kind of this, like, acclimatization period, conditioning first. Um, And he felt like they were fresher throughout the season. He felt like they were covered better um, and that they were playing better late in the year. Now, Iowa State then went on to have its best season, uh, arguably ever, but certainly in, in recent memory. And he basically decided to keep a lot of what they did last year. And I think that was really interesting because a lot of coaches just went back to exactly how they would have structured it in like 2019. And I know you've written about and talked to Matt Campbell about this a lot, how he's just kind of a different thinker, but Mm -hmm. the ability to say like, Hey, there was something that kind of clicked and we're not going to go back and do everything everyone else does. I thought was really interesting. And I thought he made the point that like they can't do things the way that everybody else does, because then they will just get beat by better players in other places. Yeah. At Iowa state, it is a really interesting challenge for Matt Campbell every year to try to figure out. I think the thing we saw when they started breaking out was, wow, they play really well in October and, and can, you know, beat the Oklahoma's and TCU's and, and pull these big upsets. Um, but how do you, you know, but then they run out of gas in November because it's Iowa state. You don't have the depth of Ohio state, you know, you just don't. And so you have a couple injuries, you have a couple guys that play really, you know, you, you, you just, you kind of spend it all on these big games early and then run out late. And so they did a much better job of that in 2020. Um, part of that is their, their strength coach, Dave Andrews. And that, that was a big upgrade they made. But, um, I think, 
you know, the, the, now in 21, they have a really interesting challenge because on paper, you look at the fact that they have almost everyone back and you say this has the potential to be a, a, a top 10 team, like a, a real serious one that could be, you know, in the mix and challenge Oklahoma again and everything. And so how do you how do you get them to play their best ball and and, and not screw it up? And so um, I, you think back to a year ago, Matt Campbell, when all these coaches were talking about, I need six weeks, I need eight weeks, we got to get back on campus, we got to get going. Matt Campbell's the guy who's saying, guys, I came from Mount Union. We showed up in August, and we got after it for a month, and then we played and won championships. And so I think he just has a different perspective than most folks that when people were advocating for more, he was like, if you give me four weeks, we'll be fine. We'll be ready. Now, of course, they lost to Louisiana to open it up. So, you know, you've got to kind of calibrate things still and well, that, avoid that, those pitfalls, and they have to beat Iowa this year. That obviously. result didn't really matter, according to the – playoff. The, so. the committee loved that result. Yeah. Um, but you know, so obviously like they need to, they need to calibrate it so that they are playing well at the start, that they find a way to beat Iowa finally this year. Um, but no, I, I, I think the, the, the back to basics and not overdoing it in the spring makes a ton of sense for them because they have all these guys, they have all this, this experience. Um, you know, let's, like I said, they, they have to figure out how do we maximize this and, and not kind of blow, blow our shot here. Yeah, so I, I think it'll be something that's going to be interesting to follow. They they really did very little contact. Um, they did very little 11-on-11, and they started late. They started a lot later than they normally yeah. did to sort yeah. of, A, there's twofold reasons. Like, Matt Campbell was like, listen, we want them to actually be excited to be out there. Our season went long. It was a really tough year. Like, we want to give them a little bit of a break mentally. But also, he felt like it feeds into – May and June, player-led workouts, which feeds into, you know, fall camp. So it's just, it's it's a flow thing. It's just reimagining yeah. the off-season calendar. If it works, other people will steal it. So going to be well, something. Well, and you, gotta, you, you know from covering last season, like so many of these coaches, by the end of it, you know, and, and staffers you talked to were like, we've had these kids mm-hmm. since, what was it, June, mid-June? Yeah. And we have been just absolutely controlling them every day since June. They can't go home. They can't do anything. It's a very, you know, joyless, like, you know, academic experience for them, basically. Like, it was, not only was it a hard season to get through, but just from the player's standpoint, like, these everybody was just gripping the wheel as hard as they could for that whole season. And so it makes sense to, from, from in their case, the Fiesta Bowl on, say, like, let's relax a little bit. Like, let's, let's recharge here um, because – that was especially for a team that that played a conference title game in a, in a, uh, a New Year's Six bowl game like they did. Like you, you, you know, the the, the tank's empty. You know, you got to you got to recharge. And I think that's probably true for a lot of these programs that you just went through so much, um, you know, mentally and physically last year that it. I I think it makes sense to to let up a little bit and and not just kind of grind them down. And, you know, we talked about it, wrote about it a lot, but that's why people opted out of bowl games to start that a little sooner. So. I think this return to normalcy is going to be big, is going to be really helpful just to get everybody back on track, back on a normal off-season calendar. We're going to also start to see the impact of the new transfer world order. Um, the, the notification deadline for this year only is going to be July 1st. So guys will have up until then to say, I'm going to transfer. Coaches can't block them anymore. And then they would be immediately eligible for the fall. First time transfers only. So 
It's very possible some of these rosters look a little bit different by the time we get to fall camp, too. But I think that's these just something. Coaches, yeah, these coaches do not want July 1 annually. That's that's tough because how do you replace those players when you don't right. – you know, when you don't have these extra scholarships. And so it's it's going to be like it. you feel bad for the folks that are publishing the annual uh, college football preview magazines in May because that's that's what the sport's going to be now. There's going to be some probably high-profile players and, and maybe just a huge quantity of players uh, making moves here after spring ball. Yeah, there, the, the in normal years, it'll be a May 1st deadline. Still, still a challenge. Still, like you said, yep. hard to find. You know, people are going to have to designate scholarships that they're going to save for guys like that who don't win a job in spring or whatever it might be. So it's going to be really interesting to see all of that start to play out, see how the fallout of that all looks now that we know it's officially here. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks and automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations so you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. You know you need protein to fuel results, but it's not easy when you're drinking the same bland, chalky shake every day. Stop punishing yourself and get to GNC for the best protein in the game, including all the hottest brands and crave-worthy flavors that'll keep you coming back for more. We're talking protein that legit tastes like cookies, your favorite cereals, indulgent desserts, and more. So bust out of your protein rut and actually look forward to those shakes with unbeatable protein at unbeatable prices. Fuel your fitness with protein at GNC. Max, before you go, we have to do our last call segment, which is... Um, for those who listen and don't um, and have never heard it before, it can go in two different directions. It's basically what would happen at 2 a.m. at a bar. Um, Theo-less, no, no baby at the bar, but just sort of like, okay, we're having a great night. Like, let's cheers to something we haven't hit on yet. Or we're going to rant about something um, because also that's what you do at the end of the night at a bar. So I'm going to go first because... I came up with a perfect rant. It is something that I have been ranting about on an almost daily basis in my personal life for weeks now, but I think that Trevor Lawrence has just pushed me over the edge. It is the pre-draft season. Mm. I could not hate it more. I think everyone is You know what? Let's go. This is going to be mine, too. Let's go. Let's do this. Everyone is working so hard to make a mountain out of a molehill on every little topic. The fact that Trevor Lawrence had to apologize for having football in the proper context in his life. Not more important than family. Not more important than religion. He just got married. Like, the dude has a great head on his shoulders and understands this is a game that he's very talented at, that he puts a lot of work in. But a championship is not going to, like, make or break his life experience. He had to walk that back to say, no, I'm really competitive, I promise. This is, that's the, that's a bad ecosystem. Yes, yes. Okay, the draft, the draft process is ludicrous. It just is. Here's, here's my first take, okay? What do pro football writers do on Saturdays? What do they do? They just travel. I mean, what do they do? I do they, think they, they, they hang out with their kids. Yes. Do they watch movies? I mean, I do not. Does think anybody they watch... freaking watch the college football season prior to the draft season? No. 
I, it's it's baffling to me. Like, and, and it's always funny. Like when we have these, like uh, you, you like you watch the NFL people like kind of catch up to the stuff we've been talking about. Like I remember a couple of years ago, it's like. Oh my God! Like, oh wow, Baker's like just got all these intangibles. Oh my God! Oh wow, Sam Darnold's like got some accuracy issues. Like, it's like, yeah, like where you been? Yeah, like, and we're doing that again. But like, to me, I just can't. Like, what are we doing to Justin Fields? What what are they? What are these people doing to Justin Fields? Like, why are we making this harder than it needs to be? It's it's insane to me. And I got no problem with Zach Wilson. I I, I don't like that's fine. Kind of a one year deal, but it's fine. But the whole like the whole number three pick. And and Justin Fields were trying to like people trying to talk themselves into him being unworthy of the number three pick and falling out of the top ten or something. Like, what are we doing? Well, how can we talk about someone falling when the draft night hasn't even happened? You don't even know where he's going to be drafted. And I feel like this stuff is getting worse and worse because things are more straightforward in some of these years. Like this year. Like it should be very straightforward. The order of the quarterbacks, number one overall pick. And yet it's like forcing narratives in place mm-hmm. that I can't stand. You're right, though. So I remember the first time. But it's like, happen- and then it's also like if if you if you love Justin Fields, then you have to like make Mac Jones a villain. Right. And vice versa. Right. Which, like, again, what is that? Why? Why? Like, I understand that you kind of want to be able to say like, oh, I knew that that, you know, like five years from now, you want to say that you personally read like kind of felt the right order of these quarterbacks. But it, it's just so unnecessary, and it's cutthroat, it's cruel, and again, it just feels like everyone is just being used for content and not actually evaluating stuff, because, you know, you could talk about fit. You could certainly talk about, like, that 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 organization and what they're looking for and what their receivers and their running backs and their offensive line look like, but that's not what people are doing. People are literally no. making, like, these referendums about running quarterbacks, or about black quarterbacks in Justin Fields' case, or you know about they, they oh, take past Mac- Ohio State quarterbacks. Like, what or, does that even yes. mean for Justin Fields? Like, who cares? Or in Mac Jones, same thing. Past Alabama quarterbacks, right? Or or yeah. like discounting because of all the weapons he had around him. Well, you know what? Like Ugh. a lot of these quarterbacks, Joe Burrow had insane weapons around him. Like we don't have to do this. Yeah, yeah. We don't have to do this, and Ugh. it is so frustrating. I it, it reminds me was Sam Darnold the the quarterback who had to also explain that he cared about football. I think he, he no Rosen Rosen Josh had to Rosen, do a lot of that, which you know, and then his career didn't work out so hot. But you remember you remember the Lamar Jackson is yep. he a quarterback deal? Yep. That I mean, they got months out of that. I remember when Todd Gurley started to produce yep. in the NFL. People were like, "Oh wow, Todd Gurley's really good." Why why wasn't like he a Heisman contender? We're like, did you not pay attention? Oh he would have been. <laughs> it was just- well, and I and I look. I, this is going to sound disrespectful. I, I don't mean this disrespectfully. It's just an observation. Somehow we the, the, and I I love the draft. I love watching the draft. I care about it. I you know I read everything Dane Brewer writes. Like I, I enjoy this stuff. But this thing has become so big over the years that every it's just like there's just like everyone on Twitter, every single NFL fan. Like now, fancies themselves a draft expert. Oh, I watched this film. Here's what this guy does and doesn't do. Here's here's why we we're gonna get him. Why we need. It's like I, I think that's part of like it. Just gets the noise is so loud because freaking everyone on Twitter thinks they're a draft expert now. I think that's and, and definitely I'm, some part of it. some people are. I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not saying people aren't allowed to care about this stuff. I'm just saying 
that oh my god just you just you see they're like the replies to all this stuff and it's to, and the people weighing in and like there are a lot of really good people i'm not saying only journalists can weigh in on the draft it's just like freaking every nfl fan watches a little bit of youtube and has takes absolutely so this is a great team last call because this is one of my giant pet peeves in all of the sports calendar every single year this year, I'm just over the top with the fact that Trevor Lawrence, who is the best quarterback in the draft, going to be an amazing pro, won a hey, national also, championship. Also, Nicole, did Trevor lose any money on this? No, he's going number one. He's going to get all these endorsements. He got it. He got his his shoe people, deal. And all that. People like sent he, him. Wedding how is gifts. this like? How is this bad for Trevor Lawrence to be like? I'm a normal person. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. He, did he's he... having to apologize when it's not. He, he's not falling in the draft or anything. Urban Meyer is not going to talk himself no. into somebody else. And did he not like lead a we want to play football yeah. movement? Ugh. <laughs> it's Ugh. it's wild. I was literally before we were recording this. I was reading a take about well, you know, like. Maybe in a couple of years, he'll, you know, have this chip on his shoulder and just be like consumed with winning. Maybe Urban Meyer will bring it out of him. I'm like, no, this is fine, guys. Like he's been the best of the best at his position his entire life wired the way that he does. He's fine. He's very competitive. We don't need yeah. to be like thinking about football 24-7. So anyway, the draft itself, awesome. Everything leading up to it, not awesome. And that is the last call of this week's episode because I need a drink. We need to we need to calm down. I just need to to vent and get that off my shoulders. I'm good. But, with that. I can't wait to just fast forward to this draft and watch it and just can, can we can we just can we just shut out all the Well, here? then we'll start for next year, so just start preparing for that. No doubt. No doubt. Well, Max, thank you so much for joining Power Hour. This was great. Please send our love to little Theo, the content machine. <laughs> I will do that. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, Andy Staples will be back later this week in the feed with Ari Wasserman up to their usual antics. And Power Hour will be back next Tuesday. Um, I'm Nicole Auerbach. Thanks for listening. 